You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. For 30 years, the Forum on Workplace Inclusion has served as a convening hub for those seeking to grow their leadership and effectiveness in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion by engaging people, advancing ideas, and igniting change. Our 2019 conference, Bridging the Gap, is April 16th, 17th, and 18th, 2019. Join our mailing list to receive updates by visiting forumworkplaceinclusion.org. Also coming up, join us on October 31st for our next event, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in Minnesota's Capital City, featuring City of St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter. This is an amazing opportunity to engage with Minnesota's Capital City leadership as they share the blueprint to organizational change and their experience in diversifying a workforce, retaining people of color and women, and more. More information and registration is available at formworkplaceinclusion.org. Registration is $29 per person. Register soon because space is limited and seats are filling up fast. In this episode, hear playback from our September 20th webinar titled Executive Sponsors Fuel High-Performing ERGs. From the pages of Jennifer Brown Consulting's white paper, Executive Sponsors Fuel High-Performing ERGs, Jennifer Brown of Jennifer Brown Consulting, along with Guido Tamburini of Capco and Monica Boll of Accenture, discuss how leadership can help leverage the executive sponsor role as a powerful catalyst to accelerate ERG maturation and business alignment. Executive sponsors have played an important role in helping ERGs create a compelling value proposition for their organizations. In this episode, listeners can expect to learn how executive sponsors feel high-performing ERGs, learn how companies drive innovation and improve their bottom lines by selecting, developing, and investing in these transformative leaders. They'll also explore metrics for measuring the effectiveness of an executive sponsor and a visionary call to action. Finally, we'd also like to thank our webinar sponsor, Aon, for making this opportunity possible. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. I am pleased to have you here today for uh, today's webinar, Executive Sponsors Fuel High-Performing ERGs, with presenters uh, with presenter Jennifer Brown of Jennifer Brown Consulting and panelist Guido Tamburini, of Capco and Monica Bull of Accenture. This is the seventh webinar of our 2018 Forum on Workplace Inclusion webinar series sponsored by Aon. We hope you enjoy the, the, this experience and find this information helpful in your work and join us for future webinars. At the end of the webinar, you'll be asked to fill out a brief survey on your experience. Please take a moment to fill out this survey as your feedback helps us, with, uh, helps us shape future webinars. We truly appreciate your open and honest feedback. Thank you so much once again, Aeon, and now I would like to hand things over to Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, and to the forum team, and I'm really thrilled to be here and joined today by Monica and Guido, two of my good friends, and also, as you will hear and learn more about, real uh, role models in terms of their executive leadership sponsoring and championing of employee resource groups at their companies. So I'm really excited to be given this opportunity. I'm joined also by Emily Nugent on my team, uh, and you will hear her voice here and there as we go today. She will be, she and the forum team will be facilitating some polling questions, et cetera, because we want to get you involved in your learning. We want to open up the opportunity for you to ask myself, Monica, and Guido any questions 
questions that you have about executive sponsorship. Um, and we want to know more about your organizations. How, you know, do you work directly with an executive sponsor? Are you an executive sponsor? Are you trying to set up executive sponsors in your organization and for your ERGs? Are you totally new to this conversation? Um, all of that is fair game. There are no wrong answers, as we like to say, in the diversity, equity, and inclusion world. So I'm really thrilled to be here today. Um, the flow of today, agenda-wise, is that um, this is the welcome, and I'll share a little bit about our research on executive sponsors. We wrote a white paper at JBC called Executive Sponsors Fuel High-Performing ERGs, and that, web that uh, white paper will be shared with all of you after this webinar. But it is um, my attempt to quantify the executive sponsor role and really describe it, nail down some key competencies about it, and uh, then we will have Monica and Guido actually weigh in on, you know, how they've exhibited those competencies, where they tend to focus, where they prefer to focus um, in, their, in their leadership. So we'll be interested to see if all of you resonate with those roles as I've researched them, and I'll, I'll describe that. Um, and then we'll have a panel discussion with the two of them. I'll ask each of them to spend about you know, three to five minutes orienting us to their leadership roles vis-a-vis -vis ERGs. What has that looked like? Um, you will find that Monica and Guido are slightly different in terms of their uh, scope. So Monica is more specifically dedicated as an executive sponsor to the LGBT group um, and effort at Accenture. And Guido has been more of an executive champion. So sitting on top of a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion activities uh, at Capco. So it's going to be two slightly different lenses but I think and I believe that uh, good leadership on this, uh, th there's a lot that's shared, whether you're a small organization like Capco, who's early in their ERG journey, or whether you're a large multinational like Accenture and you have many, many arms and legs in the ERG community. It's almost like a city and a company unto itself, I would imagine, uh, what Monica is looking at. It's a, got its own org chart. <laughs> so, uh, and then we'll have live Q&A, but I wanted to share with all of you that you could be chatting in your questions. Um, constantly and we will try as best we can to monitor those. I'll be keeping an eye on them. Emily will be keeping an eye as well. Um, please ask your questions as they occur to you and if we don't get to it right away, I will make a note and we will uh, make sure that we discuss it before the end of today. Uh, so let's move into the next, I think which is a poll because we do want to know from you about your role and also um, the identity of your executive sponsor, which is always a question that comes up, meaning how do they identify? Uh, are they a part of the ERG community that they represent or are they what we would call an ally? So let me give you a moment to take this poll and we'll see the results as they come in. So it looks like the majority of folks we have on this call today are either current or aspiring ERG leaders and uh, the majority on the calls actually what I would call program leaders, meaning those that have responsibility for driving DE&I at their organization or uh, have an HR or talent role, but have likely DNI, they either touch DNI or maybe they have it as part of a larger HR or talent role. Uh, yep, so that looks like maybe the third largest group is an ERG member group. Great. So this is good, good information for us, uh, Monica and Guido, as we speak to directly to, if we can orient our comments to the ERG leaders on the call. 
and most specifically, I suppose, the program architects of the ERG program. So these are the people that are uh, selecting good ERG um, executive sponsors, advising the ERG on how to make that decision, um, how to approach it, what's the uh, value proposition for executives. Um, and, and like we are going to talk about a lot today, executives are critical to our success. And yet I think that the reason I wrote this white paper that we're going to talk about is um, I think that our approach to executives has not been as formalized as it really needs to be. And we haven't really been clear on what the role is. And so we leave executive sponsors to experiment and, and um, you know, find their own way. And I think we need to be a bit more directive about that and talk about what we really need from them. Uh, the second poll came in and we see that, um, how does your executive sponsor identify? So we've actually got an even split really even split between we have ally executive sponsors and executive sponsors that hail from the community of the ERG they represent, which is really interesting. So Monica and Guido will share their own personal stories. And actually, Monica is of the community of the ERG she represents, and she'll share what that means for her. And Guido um, sits a across a lot. Um, and uh, perhaps doesn't actually identify with <laughs> any of the groups. So we'll talk about that. He is a, a quintessential um, straight white male executive champion, if I could put you in that, that bucket, Guido. But um, I know that you'll challenge us about our, your own diversity story when we get to you as well, because we also believe that everybody has a diversity story and um, we have all sorts of things that make up who we are and lead to our intersectionality. And um, there's a role for everyone to lead because we certainly need all hands on deck. Um, and secondarily, we've got about 15% on the call who don't have an executive sponsor in place and 14% who don't know, which is great. Okay, thank you so much, uh, forum team and Emily for doing this. Uh, we already are getting some questions, so let me just glance over here. How do we distinguish between executive sponsors and executive champions? Um, we can talk about that as we go. I think the best way to just think about this is Guido is probably an executive champion, meaning that he's not assigned to a particular group. Executive sponsors, as we normally refer to them in the diversity world, are usually assigned to a specific ERG. So that's to LGBT groups, women's groups, ethnic groups, uh, veterans, disabilities, etc. Uh, so they're both important. I would say it's a matter of um, the scope of what they're assigned to represent, the community that they're assigned to represent. Both are very important. And you can kind of be both as well. You can be an executive champion generally for diversity and inclusion efforts, and you can also be an executive sponsor of an ERG. Um, and there's also somebody asking a question about equity. I have not heard D, E, and I before. So let me table that. I'll figure out a way to weave that in, uh, but it is an emerging language. Um, it depends which part of the country you're in. It depends which industry you are, whether you're talking a lot about equity or not. Uh, but it is an emerging uh, terminology that uh, I think is, is relatively poorly understood, at least in the corporate world. So um, I'll try to elaborate on that as much as I can. Alrighty. So let's go into the research quickly. Uh, I did this um, at the behest of Cisco, our technology company out in the Bay Area, um, who has been a long relationship of, of mine from a consulting perspective. And they really wanted to get underneath uh, what makes an executive sponsor tick, who are they, what are they proudest of, how do they um, get involved, what do they think, and how are they transformed by the experience. And I really found that um, 
the fact that they aren't sufficiently activated and feeling like they're firing on all cylinders is due to things like ERG timidity, meaning uh, I don't know what to say or how to approach my executive and I'm not sure what to ask them to do to support. Um, sponsor uncertainty in terms of, um, you know, and I'd love to hear Monica and Guido's uh, thoughts on this. Why are executives uh, uh, hesitant or uncertain? And I don't think it's because they don't want to stand up and use their voice, although that could be an element of it because we've got some really brave, brave and courageous leaders in Monica and Guido. And I know that not all leaders feel comfortable associating themselves with these efforts. But um, I think it's uncertainty in terms, honestly, of the role. It's, you know, what, what do you expect me to do? What are the deliverables? Um, you know, how can I be of most help? And the ERG timidity combined with the sponsor uncertainty is kind of, as you can imagine, um, a perfect storm. And then organizational ambivalence, I, I would say, is, is relating to if, you're, if you work in a company that's not very clear on its commitment to inclusion all the way from the top, starting with the CEO, um, the executives may be wondering, do I get involved? Do I not get involved? Does the, does the company really mean this commitment? Is it a serious thing? Um, do I, should I make time for it and, and make sure I'm, you know, dedicating time? And honestly, am I, will I be rewarded for the time that I spent doing it? Which is another interesting question that I would like to hear from Accenture and Capco. How do we, how do we reward or speak about that? Or is it not about that in your organizations? You know, what are the other motivators for getting involved? So uh, let's go to the next slide and I'll dig in a bit, a bit more. So uh, executive sponsors are exceptional leaders and, you know, they can be game changers. They're, they're critical. I mean, I can't imagine a more important role than executive support. Um, you have executives have the power, they have the visibility, they have the credibility, um, you know, people will not mess with what they say is so. Uh, and so a lot of us in the, in, that are working for, from a grounds up, bottoms up approach, which is a lot of ERG leaders in the middle, perhaps, uh, you need that bookend of the executive support to give you that mandate, to give you that air cover, to do what you need to do, which is impact the business in the most positive way. Uh, so when I come in and I, for consulting, I see active ERGs, but I'm a little shaky on the executive support, whether there's not executive sponsors assigned, for example, or they're assigned, but they don't show up, they don't do meaningful, concrete things to contribute. I then question how strong is the message that's coming from the top here, and maybe that's something that needs some, some work. Uh, so on the next slide, uh, what do executive sponsors ideally do? You know, they challenge their ERG to think bigger. Um, we often say about ERGs, we're about, we can tend to be about uh, food, fun, and famous people. <laughs> and we say that lovingly, uh, but it is where we start. We start with charitable activities. We start with cocktail hours. We start with cultural celebrations. All of those things are very important. But when you get an executive really meaningfully involved, uh, they're going to be a strategic partner to have conversations about what, are we working on what really matters uh, long-term and not that, that other, those other things don't matter. But as we become more mature in our ERG activities, we do need sometimes, oftentimes, an executive to think really boldly about what our contribution can be and then to support us in building that strategy. So they should be asking about goals and standards and metrics, right, to realize a more bold vision. They should be coaching and mentoring uh, the ERGs or anyone who's involved in an effort. And they should be leveraging their cloud and influence to achieve results. Many excellent leaders, not just uh, executive sponsors, say, you know, my job is to remove obstacles. And that's something that I heard a lot from the research that I, might, I can call my executive sponsor and they can literally place a call and fix something. 
that would have taken me months to fix or, or months to even understand who could fix it. And this is the power of being an executive because they know, you know, who to call, who does what, and they can kind of throw their weight around, if you will. <laughs> so on the next slide, uh, these are some quotes uh, that I collected. Um, I see myself as the primary conduit for information flow. Um, executive sponsors can inform, for example, the, the, the team, you know, here's what's coming up in the business. Here's some expansion efforts. Here's some restructuring that's going on. Here's some things we need to be thinking about. Um, and often ERG members and leaders aren't privy to some of that information. So the earlier you get that, the more you can plan around it. Um, I can get to the CEO, COO in a heartbeat with one phone call, like I just said. Uh, pick up the phone, tell me if you hit a roadblock. And um, I can clear a pathway to the world outside of the company. So uh, I do think, too, that, that executive sponsors can mentor and coach and take ownership for talent within the organization and, and maybe increase that voice outside of the four walls of the company as well. Because sometimes, uh, sometimes you've got a real star. I mean, there's a lot of emerging and upcoming stars in ERGs. Uh, we are, I always call it the unofficial pipeline, a high potential pipeline for organizations. And, um, and yet sometimes there's not um, a promotion opportunity for someone who is a star in those groups. And I think executive sponsors can have a personal relationship where they're mentoring as well to say, is this the right place for you? Are you being challenged? You know, we certainly want to keep you, but I'm dedicated to your success in a larger way. Um, so on the next slide, uh, identity matters. So we have a split here on the call, which is really interesting of folks who have someone from the community and some that have some outside of the community. So uh, when we share diversity identity, there can be really powerful learning too. I've seen executive sponsors say, wow, I've been in this community for years and I didn't know that my community was struggling with these things. And um, that can be a product of, look, senior people are dealing at a whole different level of organizational responsibility and they can also be a different generation than the vast majority of the generation in the ERG membership as well. So there's some opportunities for learning for the executive sponsor even if you identify as part of that group and you know maybe I don't know if Monica has some examples of that uh, where you've maybe had some aha, aha moments particularly about younger LGBTQ talent uh, and, and issues that are important to them and terminology that they use and sort of playing catch up to that. Um, similarly, you know, executive champions like Guido have to learn about a whole lot of communities because he was really the executive champion for the whole firm for this, sitting on the management team, C-suite executive. Uh, and so he ha just happens to be someone who thinks about diversity and inclusion a lot, is, is very committed to equal opportunity, to equity, to having difficult conversations for anyone and alongside anyone. And so uh, he's, I'm sure he's learned a whole lot about a lot of different communities um, in a smaller company environment, which I think Capco is under 5,000 folks. So we're, we're dealing, the scale between um, Accenture and Capco is like a hugely different uh, scale. Uh, so we can talk more about that when we get to the, to the panel discussion. And on the next slide, so the five key roles, and I'm going to blow through these really quickly, uh, Emily, because I, I want to make sure we have time for, ample time for our panel. Um, I located five roles, and uh, we're going to do a poll after this, so pay attention. <laughs> the five roles uh, that I mainly found in the research from the Cisco executive sponsors and also executive sponsors from Deloitte, uh, PG&E, other companies that I polled. Um, are you a strategist? So strategists help determine the strategy for ERGs. 
And if you don't have a strategy and a strategic planning process for your ERG, you should. Uh, even if it's really simple, we like to recommend something along workforce, workplace, and marketplace, meaning those are the typical domains or pillars that ERGs focus on, uh, workforce, workplace, and marketplace. Um, if you're new, you may not be hitting on all of those yet. Uh, but it's really an important framing to keep in mind as we think about ERG con contributions to talent, to uh, stra strategy for the company in terms of marketplace, to retention, all those really good meaty things. Um, and so there's some details in here, and I'm going to actually move quickly through these, but these are all in the white paper that you will receive afterwards. So strategist was the first. And um, the next one, and let's see which one we have next, is evangelist. So uh, this is a role that that great executive sponsors love doing, which is I'm going to I'm going to evangelize uh, for the issues that are important to the community of the ERGA represent or broadly for all of the communities. Um, I'm going to sign my name on signature issues. I'm going to bring things to the board and the executive team that are important to the ERG. I'm going to be that executive champion voice amongst the executives um, and potentially even outside of the company as well. They, uh, they write thought pieces, they do webinars like this. Um, they really evangelize uh, around a community or, or a bunch of communities to say, hey, you know, here's the important issues. Here's how we can, as a corporation can really, and as a corporate world in general, um, and as executives everywhere really need to be knowledgeable about the issues, standing up on behalf of those who, you know, may not have as much of a voice or be underrepresented in companies. Um, this is a really, really important role. Uh, so the next piece, and I'm seeing some questions come in. This is great. So I'll save those for our, uh, our panelists. Um, innovator was another thing that emerged, which is, you know, thinking about how can we, how can we provide something that's unique, whether it's an initiative or a training program or something that, that, that improves the way that the company is tackling something currently. So I consider it innovation to, you know, change policies in a new way, um, develop new training modules, say you're in an, an LGBT network and you, you really want to, you want to look at how we could talk about LGBT 101 in our manager training programs or in our onboarding. Um, when we think about new resources and ideas and um, even that ERGs can be innovative engines for the company. I, I did some work a while back for a company. They were actually using their ERGs as ways to solve persistent problems in the business. So it wasn't actually about their uh, diverse identities, but it was about bringing them in and working with business leaders to think about a problem in a new way. Because ERGs are wonderfully diverse in all kinds of ways. And there's something amazing about people who aren't enmeshed in a, in a problem every day, looking at a problem with new eyes. And uh, that's, a, that's a potential value add that ERGs can, can provide. Uh, but I don't see a lot of a lot of this kind of example. So, you know, planting a seed here for all of us to think about how can you be an engine for innovation in your company, both around issues that pertain to your community and your identity, but also as the business in general. Uh, the next, which is the fourth, is broker. So we talked a little bit about this earlier, but how can you remove obstacles? How can you make introductions? You know, executive sponsors are sitting on a gold mine of names and executives and potential people who can hire talent that's emerging from the ERG uh, pipeline. So we can always be, you know, brokering and um, as executives, we can be brokering, but we need to know what do you need us to broker around? 
And I think that's very important for ERG leaders and members to be thinking about, you know, what, what obstacles are you facing? What introductions do you need? How can they um, have a, a challenging conversation with someone who maybe is not being as supportive as they should? Um, so that broker mentality is something that is a, a hallmark of executives, right? They, they, I think they broker all day long. They broker all sorts of things. So they're going to be better at this than a lot of us, and they're going to be more positioned to do it. And finally, uh, we have mentor, which of course, I mean, this is where I, I expected this. I th think this is where a lot of executive sponsors start, which is, you know, what do you want out of this role as an ERG leader or ERG member? Uh, where does this community need mentors um, and how can we kind of make sure that that all of this wonderful diverse talent that's underrepresented often can be supported through mentoring of other executives and leaders in the company. Very, very important. Um, some executives um, have a mentoring relationship just with the ERG leadership, and some uh, are going beyond that and thinking about mentoring programs and strategies. How can we, how can we get this talent in front of the decision makers? And how can I uh, be kind of guiding them behind the scenes with my own um, career story, et cetera? Uh, so those are the five. And, and Emily, I'd say let's skip let's skip this next section because I want to I want to have the group be able to hear from Monica and Guido. Um, but no, I'm sorry. Let's do the poll and then let's skip the yeah because I do want to do the poll actually. So, what role does your executive sponsor serve mainly? We really wanted to hear from you all. Um, now that we've gone through those five, where do you see them playing mainly? Uh, and for those of you that don't have an executive sponsor, maybe you can think about your executive champions, uh, those executives that are supportive. Um, and then uh, the second part will be, um, if you are a sponsor, where do you focus? So we have that first question is, um, oh my goodness, interesting. I can't wait to see the answers to this, actually. We have a lot of answers around the broker. A lot of fans of the broker skill set, okay? A lot of fans of the evangelist and the strategist, okay? Let's let this go for a moment. Let's see here. This is great. So we're seeing this emerge in real time. Uh, strategist is in the lead, followed by broker, and then followed by evangelist. And this is what, what do you think is the most important role they can play? So this is really interesting because I think may, perhaps many executive sponsors think I need to be a mentor, and that, but that's coming out actually as the lowest. The highest is strategist, the second highest is broker, and the third highest is evangelist. Very interesting. Um, and then below, where, where does the executive sponsor you know best focus? And many of them focus on mentoring, but mentoring came out the lowest in terms of where you think they're most critical, which is really interesting. And I totally, oh, oh sorry, I just adjusted. Innovator. They don't focus a lot on innovation. They focus most on strategy, secondarily on brokering, and then on mentoring and evangelizing. Okay, so this is helpful. So, uh, so we can kind of look at these and compare this. This is wonderful. Um, Emily, could you grab these and kind of put them in the chat so some of us could continue to reflect on this as we go? Um, I think that would be helpful. All righty.
Uh, so I'm going to uh, move now into our panel, our panelists' introductions, and I know they prepared some remarks for everyone, so I want to give them each five minutes, and then that will give me some time. I'm going to go through some of the questions that we've been receiving, uh, but let me um, hand over to Monica Ball, who is uh, one of my good friends and uh, colleagues in the whole kind of LGBTQ world. I've learned so much from Monica. She just got a huge promotion which she, I don't know if she's going to mention in terms of her responsibility and the scope of her role with Pride at Accenture. So I will let her tell you more about it. But Monica, welcome. Thanks, uh, Jennifer. It's great to be on. It's great to be with this group this afternoon, uh, not only with you, but with Guido as well, who is a former colleague at Accenture. So it just it feels like uh, this is a, a very happy reunion. <clears throat> so thanks uh, to the group for joining today. My name is Monica Boll. I am a managing director within uh, Accenture's New York office. I'm part of our operations business, which means that I manage the business process outsourcing work that we do for two of our very large global clients uh, based in the Northeast. I've been with Accenture for 12 years, and in the past four years, I have served as the executive sponsor for Accenture's LGBT Employee Resource Group in Metro New York. So I've gotten to be a very active, hands-on executive sponsor. It just happens to be a, a passion of mine. And as Jennifer said, uh, as a result of uh, being here in New York where we, we have a lot of programs, uh, we have at least 15 employee resource groups in Metro New York, uh, and, and as a result of some of the great work that we've been doing to lead the LGBT ERG, uh, I was just asked to take on the role as the global sponsor of Accenture's LGBT network. Just to give you a little size and scale of Accenture, we have over 450,000 associates globally. We operate in 120 countries. We have 44 different LGBT networks and uh, over 37,000 allies uh, that are, are uh, staunch allies, not, uh, not only of the LGBT network, but across all of our employee resource groups. So happy to be here, um, happy to entertain questions and add to the dialogue. Jennifer, should I hand it over to Guido? Uh, yes, that would be great. Thanks, Monica, and welcome again. And I know we're going to have a ton of questions. We've got a bunch coming in here. So as soon as Guido lets us know, you know, a little bit about himself, et cetera, I think we'll dive right into that. So uh, welcome, Guido. I, um, Guido is a relatively new friend, and I was so pleased to meet him as an executive at Capco, and I've been a pride speaker at Capco too. It's a wonderful organization that's relatively early and as I keep saying, kind of a smaller scale than what, <laughs> most of us are a smaller scale than Accenture. Uh, but uh, let's hear from you, Guido, about you know, your, your passion in this realm and maybe a little bit about how you all are structured and what role you've been playing vis-a-vis -vis your efforts. Yeah, so hi. First of all, very pleased to be here. I mean, uh, these are, uh, and it'll become very clear as we discuss going on. Um, these are um, strategic topics, first of all. Um, I was actually a little surprised that the results of the polls um, give, you know, little uh, resonance still to the innovator aspect. 
which I think is probably uh, going to end up being one of the crucial aspects, if not the most crucial aspect going forward to really make change happen. Um, so my, my personal story is um, somewhat, somewhat simple. I spent some uh, 15 years um, with Accenture. Uh, in Europe and in the United States, and uh, for the past two and a half years, I've been with Capco, um, leading the uh, New York business uh, for Capco, which is um, about the first or the second largest business uh, globally for Capco. It's a business of about 600 people in in New York, uh, out of the slightly over 5,000 globally. So there was a question in the chat room about, you know, how do you drive the importance of, you know, uh, you know, essentially driving change and having sponsors uh, in, in small businesses. And um, there's actually very important uh, reasons to do that. There are actually, uh, one might argue, more life and death than they are uh, in a place like Accenture or uh, I would say more life and death in a shorter burn cycle than they would be in a place like Accenture or Bank of America or IBM, uh, you know, some some giant um, corporation. Um, the topic is dear to me essentially on three levels. The first one is, you know, I have a lifelong passion for equity um, and have driven it through volunteering since you know, as long as I can remember as, as a young person, you know, being very political uh, growing up, still being very political, my, my friends on Instagram and on, uh, and on Facebook would know um, where I stand on these topics. Um, the second one is having a personal history of, um, you know, having a, a, a slightly uh, off-center uh, history with uh, with parenthood and you know coming to adopt children um, really globally <laughs> from from many places and coming in contact with you know the necessity uh, for inclusion and equity in education specifically uh, for children with disadvantages and and challenges and disabilities uh, and that's the second thing. And then the third thing, which was really brought home to me since taking a, a global leadership position at Capco, uh, was the fact that the topic is a survival topic, particularly for mid-sized and small businesses, um, because there is less insulation and there is less natural momentum in the business than there would be you know, in a, in a larger businesses. And so uh, things need to happen and need to happen a lot more quickly in a, in a smaller business or, you know, uh, you'll fall out of step. So here we are. <laughs> Thanks, Guido. Yes. Uh, so the point you're making is, is really an interesting one. I hadn't actually thought about it exactly in those terms, but I do think we, we have a bunch of companies on the line today that are a variety of, of sizes. And the point you make is, uh, um, you know, Monica's job, uh, she has so much infrastructure and a lot of history and structure that's in place. And it's a different, um, it has its own momentum, I'd say. And I think what Guido is saying is that, that the imperative for executives to become very hands-on and involved in a smaller company and perhaps be executive championing across the board um, and have all the executives involved is it's a business imperative because 
smaller businesses go through quicker cycles. They're, you know, closer to the ground. I think they have to do this well, and it's a survive or die <laughs> proposition. And so you can't probably rely on, you know, a lot of the history that's gone forward and all the resources perhaps that Monica has that are in place. So the, 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 the nature of your leadership, I think, is um, quantifiably perhaps different. The, the tasks you take on, the things you need to build, the way that you speak about these topics. Um, you know, Guido, I know you're like blocking and tackling and trying to, to like literally challenge people every single day to keep this top of mind, I'm sure. Um, and Monica, meanwhile, has like 37,000 allies <laughs> already. So like that's a different, qualitatively a different challenge, which is like, how do I mobilize 37,000 people um, that are eager? Um, and, you know, Guido may be sort of on the front lines in financial services where you're dealing with clients directly that are like, I don't get this. I don't care about it. Like, why are you talking to me about it? Um, you know, what is it? What difference does it make? And I'm sure, you know, you're very you're in those conversations and um, I'm sure you you handle it diplomatically, but strongly knowing you. <laughs> so uh, you told me you told me some stories. You're not you're not afraid to evangelize and, and hold people accountable. So um so I would love to ask all of you, both of you, some questions we're getting uh, in the panel and uh, in the chat panel. So I'm looking here. Uh, I, I would love to know um, how do we shift, how do we keep this conversation evolving from ERGs to BRGs? Um, uh, that means... Uh, and I'd love to know what do you call what do you call them in your organizations? The dialogue is uh, the switch from the word employee to the word business in BRG um, sends a powerful message that these groups aren't just are about the business impact. Um, some organizations I know have kept ERGs with the E and find they're still they're ab absolutely still able to impact the business and have business conversations. So it's you know sometimes I think you know what's in a name. Uh, you know, everything and nothing. I mean, it really, to me, it depends what your output is. Um, but other, other clients we work with are obsessed with, you know, can we, when can we become BRGs? <laughs> um, and then we have, you know, Monica, I'm sure you know about this. I'm not sure, Guido, if you know, but Deloitte, we got a question about Deloitte kind of shifting their ERG strategy to become inclusion councils, which are mixed, not by identity, and um, tackling diversity as a, a sort of a firm-wide effort, um, thinking that would be more inclusive uh, and uh, of people who perhaps didn't fit into those traditional ERG identities. And that's been something that I think sent some shockwaves through, through our, our community of practitioners and practice. Um, so all that to say, do you have thoughts on what you call things, um, how you're indicating that you are, you do have BRGs or that concept of business resource groups that you are positioning them that way. Um, and then perhaps, you know, why are, do you, do you think it's important to still have ERGs and why that are by identity? Perhaps do you agree with that, disagree with that? Um, because I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of question about how are these going to evolve? Um, do they need to become more inclusive? Do they need to be, um, separated from that identity focus so much. So uh, Monica, maybe you wanna kick us off. Sure, so, so I'll, I'll start off and just give you perspective on what Accenture is doing. So traditionally we've, we've had employee resource groups and that's what they've been and it's, they've matured as you mentioned and they've matured because of the extremely strong sponsorship 
all the way at the top, starting with our CEO and our leadership team. So we would not be as mature. We would not have made as much progress. We would not have as many allies had it not been for the, the support and, and the, 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 visible, the visibility and the, the vocal um, support that we receive from the leadership team. So that's absolutely critical. Moving forward, uh, we are going to move to more of a, a BRG or business uh, resource group model to just, again, continue to go up the maturity curve. So as opposed to, Jennifer, what you mentioned, the food and fun, you know, it be, take, take it up a level uh, so that it still is a place of community. It is still a place to drive employee engagement, but it's thinking, you know, a little more strategically about how can these groups come together to drive real change in the community, um, do, do more of the stewardship, uh, and, and also joint, do it jointly with our clients and really make a change because together we're stronger. So we are going to be making that, that evolution to business resource groups. Interesting. Are you going to keep the by by single identity in the groups? Is that working well for you? Like, what was the reaction to that Deloitte story? Sure. So, so so far, yes, we're going to keep the identities as they have remained today. But what we've been able to do is um, build and develop another program that we call Building Bridges, and that's to drive more intersectionality across those groups and to share allies, share stories, just really bring folks together so it kind of functions as a uh, overall umbrella across all of the uh, current employee resource groups. Um, so, so we don't feel like we have to separate or, or mix things up. We've just added another channel and, and another method to drive that intersectionality across groups. I see. So it's a strategy. It's a strategic pillar or thread that goes through all of the, all of the networks. Um, exactly. And Monica, how often do you meet up with the other executive sponsors? Is there, is there a cadence for all of you? And I guess the other thing I'd love to know before I, I have some questions for Guido is, um, do you have term limits on the executive sponsor role or are they, are they lifetime appointments or as long <laughs> as, as long as the executive wants to be there? Recommended uh, term limits are two to three years. So that just keeps things fresh and it gives somebody else an opportunity to step into an executive sponsor role. So that's what we recommend um, for our executive sponsors. Uh, and then from a, how frequently do we meet? It's typically quarterly. Uh, it depends on the local office. It depends on the size and scale of each uh, local office. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it depends, um, but, you know, touch points on a quarterly basis to share best practices, share ideas. That's what we uh, find works best. Great. Thank you, Monica. So Guido, uh, reflections on this, because I know your structure is, is totally different and you're super new in the ERG uh, world. So what do you call them? How many do you have? Um, how do you kind of straddle that, that community and conversation as that executive champion? So um, let's start with uh, what they're called. They're called resource groups. <laughs> so, resource groups, okay. <laughs> avoids both things. Um, as to where I think the position should be between, you know, the more intersectional approach and the more, if you will, siloed vertical approach. Um, well, first, you know, as any good business consultant, I'll make a general statement about 
what you observe in any organizational choice in any in any business, uh, which is that the pendulum between vertical organization and horizontal organization has a natural cycle in businesses, in all facets of businesses. Um, there is no perfect balance between the two, and so therefore you see swings in one direction and the other. Um, generally speaking, the less mature the organizational aspect that you're dealing with, the more frequent the shift, because as you're evolving, you try out different things and different approaches to see um, what, what really works and what really takes. Um, as for you know, my personal experience at Capco, inevitably, uh, the story for me was very obvious. When I walked in, um, in, the, in the practice I was running, it was very much a set of, uh, what did you call it? F food and fun or something like that. Anyway, a, a, a very set of things yeah. <laughs> of employee resource groups. So it was by diversity groups. It was very identity focused. There were essentially two key pockets, one uh, with women and one around the uh, LGBTQ community at the time. Um, it became very apparent to me that given the scale of the business and given some of the challenges uh, with diversity uh, more broadly in the whole consulting industry, by the way, uh, we needed to pool resources and we needed to create uh, a central accountability. And it became very obvious to me uh, very early on that I had to own it. Um, it couldn't be somebody else because you can't make the problem someone else's. You can't make the problem of underrepresentation of women um, uh, in the in the top echelons of companies and corporations the women's problem to solve. Mm -hmm. It's like you know, go out there. Here's some money. In some situations, there's even a lot of money. Go out and play, and come back and tell us what we think we should do, and then we all get to sit around our table of mostly uh, people who are and look like me, you know, or maybe even a little squarer than me, maybe. You know, and we, we sit around and we get to tell you what we like and what we don't like, and then we'll let you know what we'll do. That's not how it works. There's no accountability, you see. Mm. Um, and that's the biggest challenge with these things. If you don't own it, you know, you can't make, you know, you can't make it the uh, specific community's problem only. Now, at the same time, you know, and here's on the Deloitte thing, and I understand what they are doing, and this being Deloitte, you know, great respect for the intellectual capital and the leadership at Deloitte. So this being Deloitte, um, obviously, uh, it'll be done well. Um, you also don't want to go too much towards a horizontal uh, dimension because the problems are different and you also need to stay uh, true to the roots of the struggle and to the roots and the history of the specific groups because the intersectionality is crucial and you don't want to get lost in that. Uh, it is uh, perfectly possible and I know actually many uh, to be, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, so for instance, a, a gay woman of color, 
you know, something like this. You know, there are many, 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 many cases of intersectionality that are obviously, you know, different. And uh, you don't want to underserve any of those of those key concerns. At the same time, uh, the challenge of having a more diverse workforce in terms of representation from, for instance, ethnic minorities uh, is a problem that needs to be treated and addressed systematically uh, on its own and on its own merits because it stems from well-known problems of wealth inequality and opportunity inequality. Uh, and so you need to really be laser focused on that problem uh, at all levels, uh, you know, with all, with all, you know, the levels and the layers from, you know, intake from college and, you know, even alternatives uh, with, you know, specific training groups as opposed to just graduate intake and, 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 and things like that, which is a totally different problem um, than trying to handle um, one classic problem of all fast-paced businesses, which is that these businesses in traditional societal you know, environments are not geared up to let women progress. And you know, so therefore that the representation uh, of, of women in, in the ranks of a business with some notable exceptions tends to taper off, you know, at a, at a, um, Mm -hmm. you know, at a specific level. So these are, are very, very different problems that you can pinpoint specifically to very different points in the organization. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like both of you are, are, are still fans of the, uh, if you can, single identity to reduce it to that, um, the need for those conversations, for that space, for that designation, for that to be a priority, because you're absolutely right. The playing field is nowhere near was at never level, but continues to not be. Uh, and I, I love what you said, Guido. Every time you speak about this, it's, um, I love your perspective uh, because it's, it's how I wish I heard every executive be knowledgeable and have been thoughtful about you know, putting this understanding together in their own minds about what the problem is and crystallizing that and then um, and then having that, that business imperative conversation, which you do. Uh, we're getting some questions. Let me ask you both about this, shifting a bit to executive sponsor or champion succession. Uh, so how do you support that next generation of executive sponsors? Um, and, you know, Guido, I know you've got, you've groomed and, and positioned some people, I think, and I'd love to hear kind of how did you identify them? Uh, what were you looking for? Maybe how they're different from you. Um, and then Monica, I'm sure Accenture probably has a lot of infrastructure and expectations around this. Like you have a whole process. Um, and, but again, like, I'd love to hear kind of very quickly, what, what is that mechanism for executive sponsors succession and development behind you as you transition? And we had a question, why two to three years uh, from the chat? Uh, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's not too long so that we make sure we get fresh ideas. It also keeps the pressure on uh, to perform because we want, you know, the day you start, you need to deliver value. You know, you can't just, you know, a year goes by really fast. So two to three years kind of feels like it's enough pressure to kind of make sure you're, you're really contributing and you're, you, you have time to kind of onboard, but then you have time to add value, but you're not parking it forever in the position. 
Um, and I know some of us on the call, I'm sure we have our favorite executive sponsors and we never want them to leave. <laughs> I hope there's some like that. And um, that can be a conundrum because you do want to give a new voice a chance. You want to give somebody that leads differently or that's maybe more of a broker and not as much of a mentor. You know, you learn different things from different executives that you get to work with. And honestly, I think the more executives you're exposed to, the better. It's always better because each person is so different. Um, it could lead to so many things you can't expect or, or predict. So we just generally believe in turnover as a good thing um, and term limits, but you need to be a big enough organization like Accenture to have the right processes in place. And so I would never recommend that for a small company that's just getting its efforts going because you're still kind of setting up the infrastructure and I don't think it's fair to kind of put somebody in the role um, and expect them to create the role, originate the work, develop all the processes, and then, oh, by the way, you need to leave in two years. <laughs> it's just hard to do. Uh, so anyway, so I'd love to know that. And secondarily, if you have any thoughts on um, how you look at what does a successful ERG leadership team look like? Um, do you like to have a chair and co-chair? Do you like to have an ally? be in that mix? Um, what are sort of the key roles? And I know your answers are going to be totally different because the scale of your organizations is totally different too. So uh, let, me, uh, let me ask Monica to start us off and then Guido. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, rightly so, you know, everything depends on size and scale. So in terms of succession planning, you know, depending on the size of the group, there are folks that naturally rise and, and want to take over the reins and become the leader of the group. So if the group is large enough uh, over time, then that happens. And that's actually what, hap what just happened in my role is I moved from New York sponsor to global sponsor. Uh, and that opened up an opportunity for a person who had been one of the co-leads of the ERG many years ago who invested a ton of time, effort, energy, and attention to get the ERG more shaped and you know, really drive some great programs. It opened up the opportunity for him to step into the executive sponsor role. So everybody rises as a result of something like that happening. Um, Term limits, you know, again, as you said, Jennifer, it, it, it exposes everyone to new leadership, new ideas, um, you know, it, it keeps things fresh and interesting. So that's why we uh, recommend it. And uh, in terms of just, you know, growing that pipeline, right, as, as you rightly said at the start of this, you know, it's, it's people who, the, the folks that participate in employee resource groups are typically those that want to do more, want to contribute more. Um, get their day job done and then are excited about uh, what they can do and what they can shape and, you know, the, the creativity that they can bring to employee resource groups. And so it allows them to gain leadership skills, make decisions, you know, shape things as long as the sponsor is keeping them on the rails. Um, but then you start to see who evolves and who is stepping forward and who really gets, you know, the fact that they can shape a strategic plan, they get exposure to leadership, you know, they get to make and participate in things that they might not have, have had they not raised their hand um, to, to step forward and, and take a, a real leadership role into, into the ERG. So those are, you know, some of the things that we see and how Accenture uh, does it. Uh, Guido, I'm interested to, to hear from you given the, the difference in maturity and evolution, how, how it's being done at Capco? 
Yeah, so first of all, you know, I'd like to make the point that, and this is very important, and I want to address it head on at this point, because earlier on there was this question about, you know, how, how you know, do you do it in a smaller business? that having less infrastructure and having by necessity to have a more leveraged and horizontal approach to it because you need to multitask fewer resources does not mean being uh, behind in in the cycle it's simply a different way of doing things for um for a smaller business so um let's start with you know um, how you how you organize it in a smaller business in a smaller business um, by necessity you need to have you know in the individual groups uh, you will inevitably have uh, people from the specific community um, driving a lot of the work Monica as you were saying you know these are typically the people that have um, the level of uh, energy and the level of commitment. This is for the most, or actually in its totality, work that it's done after hours, particularly in a small business. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's inevitable that a lot of the people that will commit and give more of their time will be people from the, from the individual communities. Um, I have always uh, insisted that every ERG needs to have allies in it, um, specifically um, for two reasons. One of them is that uh, it is a built-in natural way of building bridges. And the other one being that in specific groups, because they are less represented in uh, sometimes in leadership uh, levels, uh, there need to be allies and sponsors inside the groups to make sure that the voices are heard and that, you know, what is done inside the group is, if you will, always ready for prime time and always has that. I think the role that was identified in Jennifer's slide was the role of the broker, always has that brokerage activity um, built in. Um, this was my experience in a small business because, as I've said earlier on, it was a, you know, um, a survival, a survival need. Um, think about it for a second, right? I mean, you're running a consulting business, a consulting practice um, in a place like New York City in financial services, right? Uh, the work you do, in my case, you know, the work Capco does is uh, work that's mostly, you know, process consulting, business consulting. So you're competing with Deloitte, you're competing with Accenture, you're competing with, you know, all of the big four, you know, and so on. How do you attract and retain talent? Um, which is, you know, the key challenge. And at the same time, you know, how do you uh, maybe use your smaller scale and your flexibility uh, and the fact that you don't have that much infrastructure uh, to pivot a business around having a diversified and compelling value proposition uh, to be a place that's more inclusive, to be a place um, that can try out new things. So how do you lead with innovation uh, for, for, for that? 
And I think in order to do that, you need to have every ounce of effort and every second of work that is done in the group um, be uh, aimed already, you know, at getting at getting the outcomes. Um, and we've made a lot of very interesting discoveries doing work that way. Uh, I think the most important thing we've discovered is that some businesses, some types of businesses lend themselves better to be in businesses that are more diverse. It's generally businesses that are newer, um, in part because there is no legacy, obviously, but in part because the people who do those businesses that are new businesses by necessity are more diverse people in the market, in the real world. And that's the, the, the first big discovery. So there's a value in time business innovation to core and um, you know being a more inclusive business that's uh, almost a a one-to-one -one, um, reciprocal relationship between the two things and the second thing which i found out that was uh, glaringly obvious was um, you know that when you solve the problem of the small business so when you solve the talent problem on a scale that is you know very close to the street um, then that problem translates massively into the issues of larger businesses mm, it's very true i think that's a good point uh, guido um, i love your focus on innovation i mean it's do or die and you're competing you're scrappy you're smaller flexible and I think your point is you can pivot to really resonate and speak the language of the market you're trying to recruit from and, and also differentiate yourself using inclusion as a, a, key, a key message, you know, to, to bring that talent to you and have them make that choice versus one of the bigger competitors. So um, I hate to say we're out of time. Oh, I can't believe it. We have so many great questions that are coming in. Um, I know that Monica and Guido probably are dying to answer a lot of these and have a lot of thoughts on them. And um, uh, I am going to hand it back to the forum team, but uh, we will be sharing my executive sponsor white paper, I think, which gives you a lot of fodder to, you know, literally have your executives read it, um, discuss it potentially, talk about roles, talk about what you need, um, introduce them to some of these concepts, um, think about the elements we've talked about from an organizational standpoint today with Monica and Guido. And... Um, and we'll try to figure out a way to continue to uh, address your questions in our thought leadership that's coming out of, of JBC. Um, and it's given me a lot of ideas about what's on your minds based on your questions that are coming through the chat. So who knows, maybe we'll do another executive sponsor thought, thought leadership piece in the, in the coming months. Thank you for listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast to get updates on the latest episodes. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.